Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is saying, people who know me, they do justly, they do righteously. Knowing the Lord as we know, it has to translate itself into our behavior. It's not enough to just say, praise the Lord, or it's not enough to just show up at church at times. It's not enough to just say prayers here and there. If we really know the Lord, that is gonna impact the way we live. It's going to transform our lives. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 21 through 25. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so chapter 21 of Jeremiah. And as we've been doing over these past few weeks, we're going to just give a, you know, kind of a synopsis of the chapter. And in certain chapters, we'll really drill down deeper into some of the things there in the chapter. Chapter 23 is just filled with solid gold. So we'll spend probably a considerable amount of our time in chapter 23. But chapter 21 is essentially, it is a pronouncement of judgment directly to the kings and specifically upon them. And The 21st chapter begins, it says this, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the son of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, saying. So the interesting thing here is in chapter 20, there's another person named Pashur, but it's a different person. And the one in chapter 20 was the one who persecuted Jeremiah and had him beaten and had him arrested. And so this is not the same person. So this person, Pashir, and this other one that's mentioned here, they were sent by the king, King Zedekiah, to Jeremiah. And this was the message to Jeremiah. Please inquire of the Lord for us, For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. So this is interesting because Zedekiah is basically a wicked guy, and we're going to see that the further we go in the story. But he's, um, he's appealing to Jeremiah to go to the Lord And he's even here speaking of the Lord's wonderful works. And it's probably the case that Zedekiah is thinking back to the days of Isaiah. And remember, in the time of Isaiah, it was the Assyrian kings that were threatening Jerusalem. And in those days... King Hezekiah sent to Isaiah the prophet, and Isaiah, he had a wonderful message. It was a message of deliverance, and of course, God delivered Jerusalem from Sennacherib. And so maybe this is in Zedekiah's mind, but 
The difference in the situation is Hezekiah was a righteous king who loved and sought the Lord. Zedekiah is a wicked king who's in rebellion to the Lord. But yet he's, you know, I don't know, guess hope against hope. He's just saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe if I send to Jeremiah, maybe he will have a, a positive word for us. And so Jeremiah said to them, thus, you shall say to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who besiege you outside the walls. And I will assemble them in the midst of this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. And so this is, you know, we're, as we pointed out before, uh, we're beyond the point of no return now. So there's been the pleading, there's been numerous opportunities through the early ministry of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is now in his 23rd year of ministry, prophetic ministry, preaching to the nation. And there still hasn't been any change that's taken place. And so the situation is irreversible at this point. But here we have a case of, you know, Jeremiah, he's speaking directly, as I said, he's speaking directly to these leaders. He's speaking directly to the king. So this is a a case in point of what people talk about today, speaking truth to power. And there's a lot of talk out in certain aspects of the culture about, you know, the need to speak truth to power and, and so forth. And you see a lot of this stuff on social media and, you know, somebody tweet something, you know, out and they're talking about a political leader or something. And then they're patting themselves on the back that they're speaking truth to power. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of a joke. You know, that's really not speaking truth to power when you're just sending out tweet messages. Jeremiah was really speaking truth to power. He's speaking the truth to people that could just literally take and kill him right there on the spot. And he's demonstrating that courage of a true prophet of God, that regardless of whether or not your your life is even in jeopardy, you're going to be faithful to God, to his call. And Jeremiah is doing that here. Down in verse 8, look at verse 8 real quick. Now you shall say this to Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Now, this is a common phrase, and the Lord spoke this to the people on occasion, and he spoke this very clearly to them through Moses. In in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find this very thing. You know, I set before you this day life and death. Choose, you know, and God pleads them, choose life and In that context, it was submission to the law. It was obedience to the law. That was their way of choosing life. Obey the law, that's choosing life. Reject the law, that's choosing death. So now he's saying the same thing, but it's not the law that he is uh, calling them to submit to. It's really interesting. He says this, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live and his life shall be as a prize to him. 
So this is the way of life and death. You stay in the city now because to stay in the city, God, God's already declared the city's doomed. I'm judging the city. If you stay in the city, you're gonna be judged with it. And like I said, it's irreversible. But if you leave the city, if you, if you go to the Chaldeans, if you surrender to them, basically, that you will spare your life. But of course, this would put a person in a real predicament because they would be seen as a traitor. And so that was the thing. Am I going to be seen as a traitor or am I a true patriot? I'm going to stay with my nation. I'm going to stay with the people. Or am I going to obey God? Now, as we go through Jeremiah, we're going to find that he was constantly being accused of treason. They were saying, you know, you're sided with the king of Babylon against us. You betrayed your people. But of course, he was being loyal to the Lord. And, you know, there are times even in life where it, we will kind of be in, in those types of predicaments, maybe not in this context where it would be on a national level. But, you know, in some cases, in some family cases even, and in other relationships, people, they draw a hard line, don't they? And it's like you're either for me or you're against me. And if you're, if you're with Jesus, then you're not with us. Of course, strong traditional families like Muslim families or Jewish families or even some other, you know, religious types of families can, they can put that kind of pressure on a person and they can threaten them with that. You know, if, if you follow Jesus, then you're betraying us. And this is why Jesus told us that there would be those cases where you would have to make a choice between your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your children, and so forth, and he's calling us to, to choose him. So Jeremiah is telling the people that that is what they must do as well. And that, of course, as I said, is what he is doing and has done. And, but this is the way of life. This is how they'll save themselves. And so it goes on and just look real quick in verse 11. And concerning the house of the king of Judah, say, hear the word of the Lord, O house of David, thus says the Lord. You know, over and over again here, we're going to find this, O house of David. And, and God is using, of course, they were the house of David, but I think God is using this here to remind them of the ideal and to show them how far they've fallen away from what the ideal was. David was the ideal king. David, even though David was faulted, even though David sinned, even though David, you know, did a lot of things that were not right, what David never did is he never forsook the Lord for idols. He always humbled himself. He always, his faith in the Lord was strong all the way through even his most difficult and challenging seasons. And, and so these, these kings, these guys are the descendants of David. They're sitting on the throne of David, but they are so far from being like David in any way, shape, or form. And as I said, I think that's why God keeps using this. He brings up over and over again, O house of David. And so he calls them here to execute righteousness and judgment, the things that they were not doing. And moving into chapter 22, thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah and there speak this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David. So once again, 
you who sit on the throne of David. And so here, kind of the overall picture is in, in the 22nd chapter, it is just the certainty of the captivity that the rulers of the nation are going to go into. The nation is going to be defeated and the rulers are going to be led off into captivity. And that's the warning. So verse three, thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Those, of course, were all the things that they were guilty of. And then again, another promise. If you if you do this, then things will be well. And there in verse five, he says, you are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon. And he's, he's referring to Gilead and Lebanon were both lush and fruitful places. And God is saying to them, you know, this is what you are to me. This is, this is what you, you were supposed to be, like a fruitful field. He said, Yet I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited, and I will prepare destroyers against you. And so verse 8, And many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done this to this great city? And they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. So, of course, that was the story. They forsook the Lord. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went from this place, he shall not return here anymore. Now, Shalom is another name for Jehoiahaz. So right now we're going to get into looking at this this line of these kings. So remember, Josiah was the righteous one who died in the battle with Pharaoh Necho. He was the one who led the nation in somewhat of a revival. And so this is his son, Jehoiahaz. And then we're going to see Jehoiakim, and then we're going to see Jehoiachin. And so this is the order of the Davidic kings right to the very end. And so we'll see that in a minute as we go. So, but regarding Shalom or again, Jehoiahaz, he shall not return here anymore. So when Pharaoh Necho, when he defeated Josiah, he then took authority over Jerusalem. And so now the kings of Judah are serving under the dominion of this pharaoh, this Egyptian pharaoh. And so Jehoiahaz, he is resisting pharaoh's rule. So he's taken from Jerusalem and he's put in prison by the pharaoh. So that's why it says here that he shall not return here anymore. So he never, he never came back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. Destroyed, uh, he died in the place where they led him captive. And then we come to verse 13. And verse 13 is a reference to his son, Jehoiakim. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for 
his work, who says, I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? So this king, now remember the context of where the nation is at. This guy comes to power and all he's concerned about is building himself a nice house. And he's going to build himself a nice house and he's going to use the people around him as slave labor to do it. Uh, He's going to completely exploit them. And he's, he's just thinking everything's going to be okay. I'm going to surround myself in this beautiful house and there isn't going to be any problem. These guys were in denial that there was a judgment that was coming. And of course, when Jeremiah would tell them there was a judgment that was coming, they just flat out did not receive it. They didn't believe it. But then it says here in verse 15, it says, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness. So this is a reference to Josiah. Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord, yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but for covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Back up just a second. It's interesting here. So he says, uh, Josiah judged the poor and the needy, means he justly judged them, and it was well. And then it says, was not this knowing me, says the Lord. So in other words, God is saying, people who know me, they do justly, they do righteously. And the fact that Jehoiakim is doing just the opposite, what's implied is that he, he doesn't know the Lord. Knowing the Lord, as we know, it has to translate itself into our behavior. It's not enough to just say, praise the Lord, or it's not enough to just show up at church times. It's not enough to just say prayers here and there. If we really know the Lord, that is going to impact the way we live. It's going to transform our lives. And Josiah knew the Lord and that it showed in his life Jehoiakim did not know the Lord, and it showed in his life as well. You know, I was um, in a conversation with a friend today, and he was talking about how, so he's, a, he's an African-American pastor in North Carolina, and he was talking about how he's had a number of evangelical leaders say to him that he needed to really be careful about, you know, trying to bring about racial reconciliation and things of this nature, because, you know, he would be in danger of losing the gospel if he, if he did that. So he needed to really watch out for that. And I thought, wow, you know, that's interesting. What, what is that? What is that saying? I mean, do, do these pastors who are saying that to him, do they think that, Justice is disconnected from the gospel? And do they think that the church, Christians, are supposed to withdraw from society and leave justice to the unbeliever? I mean, that's like, that's a recipe for disaster right there. You think the, you know, you think the unrighteous are going to produce any kind of justice? That's never going to happen. 
And so the, the point was, and he had mentioned that passage where Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth and he's quoting from Isaiah. And remember, he's, he's basically saying this prophecy is fulfilled today, but he says what? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to deliver the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to deliver those who are oppressed and so forth. And so we were just, you know, talking about how, you know, the very mission of Jesus as the Messiah was to, to bring people out from oppression. And of course, first and foremost, it's the oppression of the devil and the spiritual forces, but it surely includes efforts on the part of believers to help people out of the oppressed states that they can find themselves in because of injustice. And this is exactly what God is saying here. The contrast between Jehoiakim and Josiah was Josiah did justly and Jehoiakim did not. He exploited the people for his own advantage. Josiah did not do that. And so therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him saying, alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him saying, alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gate of Jerusalem. So that would be his um, ignominious end dragged out and cast beyond the gate of Jerusalem. And so go up to Lebanon, cry out, lift up your voice in Bashan, cry out from Abarim. These are all the places that are sort of north and east of Israel and, and directly north and east of Jerusalem. For all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth. I spoke to you in your prosperity and you would not hear. You know, it's hard to hear the voice of the Lord in the midst of prosperity. It's in the midst of prosperity that people so often turn a, a deaf ear to the Lord. And it's, it's in a time of national prosperity that nations turn a deaf ear to the Lord. You know, there's that amazing story back in the Kings and Chronicles that we studied it some time back, but it's the story of King Asa, who in the earliest days of his reign, when he's almost going to be overrun and, and defeated by this Ethiopian multitude, he cries out to the Lord and the Lord delivers him and, and blesses him and spares him and saves him. And then the nation goes into like a 25-year period of prosperity. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so I've written a book 
that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy's at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and The People of God. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.